Hello and welcome back to another episode of Coffee with Kyle. I am lucky enough to feature my guest today, Dane Smith of the Buffalo Bandits, the PLL Chaos. Back in the day, I captained this guy. He was my assistant. I was the captain. He superseded me now in his lacrosse career, but lucky enough today that I get to talk to my great friend, Dane Smith. Yeah, thanks for having me. I mean, I can't disagree with too much. You were the better player back then, but uh, yeah, we'll see how our careers end up. What, uh, for those who don't know, give, give somebody a background, kind of how you, how you even got started into lacrosse. So I started when I was three years old, um, played lacrosse in Hamilton. Uh, I played for the Bengals actually for a while. Then I moved to uh, Kitchener in grade three, played for the Braves, um, all growing up and then got drafted to the Braves uh, junior team. I uh, played there for a bit and then got drafted to the NLL as well uh, to Buffalo. And I've been playing for Buffalo for nine years now. And then I also play in the PLL. Um, I played the MLL for a bit and now I'm in the PLL. Uh, didn't end up going to university for school. So I entered the pro um, NLL draft early and uh, here I am. So two-sided to this one, not a lot of people, I feel like, unless they really know you, knew that you played lacrosse in Hamilton. I feel like that's yeah. something, not that, people promote necessarily where they grew up playing myself people bring up Sarnia because we were so bad so I feel like that's why they know (laughs) Hamilton not as much Uh, but then on a side note to that you say that you didn't go to college but the one thing that you did do is we used to back in the day have the at the time it was whatever the all candy games or Reebok top 100 I think it was when you were there and I remember you and I were playing in Kitchener at the time you didn't really have any aspirations necessarily to go play college lacrosse anywhere. And after the Reebok top 100 with Brody Merrill and those guys who were running it, I think that out of, let's say 150 schools that were there, I think every single one wanted Dane Smith, (laughs) but uh, you absolutely lit up the tournament. There was nobody even close to you that was even competing out there. And you had looks from this, that, and the other school and everywhere you could have went wherever you wanted, but long story short, Reebok top 100 could have been your claim to fame. (laughs) Definitely. You know what? Uh, I do remember that. I, I definitely was one of the older guys there. So I hope I did a little bit better than uh, most, but um, it, it was a cool experience for myself. Um, never really looked into playing field across too much. Um, Team Ontario is kind of the high point of my career. Um, didn't really look at schools too much, but um, it was pretty cool to get all those offers at that time. And um, I, I kind of do regret not going to school, but I can't complain at where I am at today. So um, I, I'm ended, I ended up playing um, at the highest level of field lacrosse you can play at. So I can't complain there. Some people may argue that you don't need a college degree anyway. So oh well, who cares? <laughs> yeah, I Which, did go to Conestoga College. So that was uh, that was a treat as well. as hometown hometown boy. Didn't play lacrosse or anything there. And <laughs> uh, the guys make fun of me here. Uh, they all have uh, obviously their college jerseys. And I got nothing to prove <laughs> for Conestoga. They, they didn't have any sports really teams. So... <laughs> Hop, skipping a jump away from your house. You should just start promoting that instead of saying where you grew up. It should just be Conestoga College. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I remember uh, playing for the Rochester Rattlers, my first MLL game. And I, I was wondering, like, all these guys are going to Duke <laughs> University, Syracuse University, and they would name their, their, their schools and then their names. And I was wondering before my game <laughs> what they would say. They would say Conestoga College, but they ended up saying Buffalo Bandits, which is pretty funny as well. <laughs> Kitchener High School. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Uh, you bring up the Buffalo Bandits. You kind of you went into professional lacrosse way before all of us. We, I mean, we all had aspirations of playing, but you were kind of while we were playing junior lacrosse, that guy that was living everybody's childhood dream. 
So what was it like for you going and playing professional lacrosse at a fairly young age and playing with ultimately a different NLL at the time? It's a lot younger than it was back then. Not that it was too long ago, but the players that were in the league were definitely a lot older and a lot more well-seasoned veterans than they are today. Definitely. It was like surreal almost. Um, I remember getting drafted to this day um, in Buffalo and it was a, it was a dream of mine. Um, I remember being 16 years old, uh, first year of junior and going to my first ever NLL game in Buffalo. Uh, for those of you who don't know, uh, Billy D. Smith is my cousin. So um, he got me tickets to the game I, and then um, they end up uh, winning. He, he fought that game and then he, bring, he brought me to the dressing room um, after the game and that John Tavares, Mark Steinhaus, all these guys. It was pretty cool. And then uh, two, uh, three years later, I got drafted to uh, the Bandits. So it's kind of like a full circle. And uh, I'm thankful to play in Buffalo uh, so far my whole career. And uh, I'm hoping to finish there. Shocker that Billy was fighting in any game. He wasn't <laughs> smacking himself in the leg. He's just sure as hell fighting. <laughs> exactly. He's beating something up. Exactly. A lot of people have tried to play professional lacrosse before, but not many people have ever had a season like you did in that MVP season where you had, what was it? 137.77 goals. I, I believe it was when I looked it up. What was that season like for you knowing an outsider looking in, it's kind of one of those situations where you're going, all right, well, anything this guy shoots, it goes in. <laughs> so, well, how was that feeling when you went out on the floor knowing that virtually everything you did was just going to work out in your favor? It was, it was honestly crazy. I remember, um, hearing things when I kind of, I, I didn't have a slow start, but I didn't start off as good as I obviously finished. And, um, I remember hearing, uh, you're on pace to beat the goals record kind of thing. I don't know what, how many I had at that time. I ended up finishing with 72, but the goals record was 71. And I was like, no chance anybody could score 71 goals. Cause I, I did really well in junior, but I never did that well. So I was like, there's no way. And then all you can do that. Um, and then obviously I was able to finish off with 72, but, um, it was crazy. Every, every game, honestly, <laughs> everything was kind of going in, like you said, and it was weird because even our team was, um, we weren't the most skilled, but, um, in every game we, we knew we were going to win. It was, it was the weirdest feeling. I've never had this in lacrosse where, um, I played on some average teams growing up, but, um, that was definitely one of the better teams I've played on. And, uh, we'd go into games and, and, and before warmups, we'd be playing football and, uh, doing weird things, not even thinking about lacrosse. And like, again, knowing that we were going to win that game, no matter what. And it was crazy. It was one of the, the best seasons I've ever played in. And we ended up losing the championship that year, uh, to Saskatchewan, I believe, but, um, it was a pretty cool season all around. Um, and, uh, I'll never forget it. At the highlight of your career, you had 77 goals, but you started off in the NLL as transition, correct? Not really defense, more just transition. For a lot of those younger players that are growing up and they're trying to come through the pipeline and they've been an offensive player their whole life, and then all of a sudden they're forced into, into a D-roll, what kind of advice would you give anybody for that matter that's having to transition a role that they've specifically played their whole lives into something different at the next level? Yeah, it's tough. You know what? Um, always growing up on a smaller market, you're you're kind of the guy there or or top three guy there. And um, growing up, I was always an offensive guy. Uh, luckily enough, in, in junior, they kind of made me play a little bit of transition here and there as well. So I kind of got used to it. And I can't thank my coaches enough to kind of put me in that role because um, <clears throat> going in the NL, you could be the best uh, player in junior. And um, there's so many skilled players in that all, and there's so limited spots. Um, there's usually six to seven offensive guys and they've been playing for so long. So 
when I got drafted to Buffalo, I had a veteran group and um, they taught me all the ropes and stuff like that. But I was lucky enough to stick stick around as long as I did um, and know that my shot was going to come sooner or later. And um, even to this day, uh, if I get stuck on defense, I'm, I'm more than comfortable than playing back there. So um, I can't think that like my growing up, like it's, it's huge um, to kind of, uh, increase your game. I know defense might not be the glory days and stuff like that. You're not getting the credit, but at the end of the day, it's going to take you the longest for your career. For sure. And I think that even something that I've gone through in my career is trying to figure out that fine line of like playing offense, but also trying to get the optimal amount of floor time that you possibly can. Cause at the end of the day, like you're taking a face off, it's usually D guys, transition guys out on the draw, maybe one or two old guys here and there, but I find myself a lot of times thinking, well, if I run back on defense or if I try to stop transition, I go back on defense. I stay on the floor a little bit longer. Maybe I can get a little bit here or there. And then, I mean, even on defense, offensive guys are always trying to find their way up the floor and not really play as great defense as they possibly can. Obviously, I know yourself, you try to play as best that you can. You get a lot of breakaways too, sneaking up the floor at some points because when you're playing defense like that, offensive mind first, trying to get a goal, you've done your fair share of those. But Definitely. yeah, Troy, Troy Cordley was my coach uh, when I kind of made the jump to transition. And he told me that uh, uh, if I played bad defense, I wasn't going to be put on offense. I was going to be put in the stand. So that kind of was a, that was a big, uh, big thing for me. So I knew that I had to kind of stick it out as long as possible. And it, it kind of worked out. Did you, at the pro level, going from playing offense your whole life, playing, then playing defense slash transition, did you find that there was a huge element that went into playing defense versus offense or was it pretty easy to transition that mode from playing that transition mindset to now going entirely offensive yeah it, it, was, it was a little bit difficult but, uh, being a d guy and being a younger guy i'm um, going into all and mostly offensive um it, it wasn't that i was bad at defense but i felt like um guys would try to pick on you they knew that you were kind of a weaker guy so that matchup happened more often than not. And you're, you're obviously going to get beat a lot. So it's uh it's, it was a tough um, kind of transition for me, but uh, I learned to like it. And I, I learned that uh, I get offensive opportunities off playing good defense. So one thing that I do want to touch on with you is obviously in 2020, we now have the PLL and the MLL and not that there, I think that there needs to be a divide. You play in the PLL, I play in the MLL. There's, definitely perks to both but you've made that transition from playing in the mll to the pll and i want to talk about that because it is kind of a social media slash social context professional sports world where they're trying to market that media aspect not necessarily selling out stadiums although that's everybody's goal in in professional sports that's the ultimate goal but the pll has done a different job in trying to market that media context to people and fans and nbc sports and really promoting that aspect of things what was your first season in, in the PL like um, for those who don't know? Cause I mean, even myself playing in the other, in, in the other league, it, it's tough for me to say what one is versus the other, but you've lived that life. What, what was the PLL experience like for you? It, it was crazy. It was a crazy transition. Um, they, they've done a great job at marketing uh, that league. It's, it's taken a huge um, step forward. Um, they get uh, their media people are, far none like one of the best I've ever seen, but it was a definitely a different transition for myself. I've never really um, being a part of that transit, um, that social media kind of aspect. Um, you kind of sit back and uh, I know a lot of the American guys like, loved it, but like uh, us Canadian guys, we weren't used to that. So it was definitely a different transition, but 
I feel like it's worked. Uh, this day and age, obviously, everyone, all these kids are on, um, on social media. So um, that, that's where you're marketing uh, those kids that are looking up videos and all this stuff. And uh, they've done a great job. It, it's, been a, it's been different to kind of adjust to it. By no means am I um, trying to get on um, all the social media stuff like that. I'm trying to focus on my game, try to uh, play lacrosse at the end of the day. But um, a big aspect is obviously social media. So I've been trying to get out there a little bit more and um, kind of learn from there. Um, I, I know I'm not an older guy, but I definitely feel like one with um, how much social media is used uh, nowadays. You don't need that clout, as everybody would say. <laughs> exactly. I try to let my uh, game do the talking, but again, it's a little bit harder in field lacrosse. So I'm trying to, <laughs> trying to do a little bit of both and then hopefully my game uh, takes off and I can just do, uh, do that. I like to say that you're nothing like your roommate, Ian McKay, who is uh, pretty much the opposite. All he wants is the <laughs> social media clout and he wants to be on everything and he's all focused on that. But yourself, pretty humble guy. I, I understand. Another question I had with that is what was it like playing for lacrosse clubs and not actual city centers in the PLL? So I'll reference it by, for those who are listening and don't really understand the, the context is that for the MLL, you have a city centric team where it's the Boston Cannons, for example, with the PLL, you have a lacrosse club. So Dane plays for the chaos lacrosse club. And it's more so the way that an outsider for me looking in is kind of like a soccer um, replication, which I think is, is genius. What was it like for you playing knowing that there wasn't really a home center? I understand that even this year you're in Utah, it's not really relevant anyway, but just having that lacrosse club versus an actual city. Did, did you notice anything different about that? It was definitely different. Um, I thought it was a really good idea, to be honest. It's kind of like a final four. I was never really obviously a part of a, a final four, but I've been to one before and all these fans get to come to one location get to see all these games played um, where obviously if you're playing in Boston or, or different places where you're home, um, you're the home team, you only get to see one game where if you bring all the best players into one location, um, you travel to one spot, those, those people can uh, watch several games. But at the end of the day, I feel like they're doing that to see what works and what doesn't. Uh, I think eventually maybe they will kind of branch off and see what markets are working and what, what don't kind of thing. And I think it's a pretty good idea, but uh, we'll see how it pans out at the end of the day. We don't really know, but it was pretty cool to see. Um, obviously, Josh Byrne um, is on my team and and Chaos, and obviously Ian McKay and Chikuchi are on different teams. But at the end of the day, we got to see each other um, after the games or um, in the same location. So we're all flying into the one uh, the same place. It's, I think it's pretty cool to, to just have that. It, it, I like the soccer context of it. I think it's pretty genius. And just having p- people go to different facilities and everybody be there at one, one time obviously makes lacrosse is already close knit as it is, but then you've got everybody going to the same spot at once. Makes it pretty cool and unique. Uh, we touched on social media and I, you said at the be- beginning, you weren't necessarily heavily involved, but in the later stages, especially within the last couple months, you've definitely taken on a little bit of a, of a different role with social media, especially with everything going on. Uh, how has that transition been for you trying to put yourself out there more knowing that lacrosse is, and I take that really personally that lacrosse is in a place where everyone's going to be able to brand you and market you in the way that an NHL or an MLB might be able to per se, but in lacrosse, you really have to do a lot of that grunt work on your own. Has that been difficult for you to do, or has it been a little bit of a beneficial transaction? I'll say rather than a happy one, but a beneficial transaction trying to put yourself out there. Yeah, it's definitely been different. Um, 
obviously we, li- we live in a pretty crazy world right now, but uh, you don't really know um, how it kind of works um, until it kind of happens. So um, for myself, especially with um, all, obviously the Black Lives Matter movement and all that kind of stuff, it's, it's been, it's been different. Um, I'm a, I'm a quiet guy. You've known me my whole life. I'm pretty laid back and shy unless I really know you. Um, I never thought that I would speak up and, um, kind of, um, talk about this issue, but it came to a point where, um, I I felt like I could use my platform, um, for bigger than lacrosse kind of type thing. And it it ended up my first, uh, my first statement, it, it was, uh, I thought I'd, I'd put it out there and it, it eventually kids were, kind of reaching out to me and be like, Oh my God, like I have the same issue. And, um, at the end of the day, that, that's why like it put a smile on my face to kind of, um, <clears throat> kind of relate to those kids and they can relate to me, um, to kind of show them that they're not alone, um, at the end of the day. And, um, it, it doesn't just happen to them. It happened to me. And, um, I'm obviously playing at the highest level of lacrosse you can possibly play at and kind of show them that it doesn't matter kind of what sport you play and um, stuff like that. So I felt like social media has kind of taken off and, um, I was able to use my platform to the best of my ability and um, there's still a lot of, a lot we can do, but um, at the end of the day, I felt like it was a, it was a little something that kind of helped. Even if I could reach out to one or two kids, it was better than none. I think that's so cool, especially yourself being an advocate for those and, and putting yourself out there more, knowing that kids are reaching out to you and addressing those issues. It's goes so much beyond lacrosse. It's more of a personal, personal issue. And it's great to see that you're even interacting with those kids. I know that, there's a lot of people that reach out to various athletes and may never hear back from them. And maybe in once in a blue moon, they do. But I think that lacrosse players do a pretty phenomenal job of making sure that on social, they are reaching out to those people that are sending them DMS or, or tweets, whatever it may be, and really interacting with them. Cause it's a situation like yours where a kid reaches out and you're able to actually influence him and talk to him about an issue that he has that you've also had. And I think that's awesome. And also, you're wearing your "I Belong Here" shirt with signature lacrosse. How did how did that come about? I know that there's a thousand different stories that could possibly happen, but especially just that simplicity with "I Belong Here" and it being with signature lacrosse, I think, is instrumental. Yeah. So basically, um, I was kind of writing uh, my story when I when I grew up, just a little something that I could kind of present uh, on social media, kind of again to to show kids that it, it doesn't just happen to them; it like, happened to me and um, I was trying to end kind of the story and I didn't really know how to end things. It's, it's hard to end interviews. It's hard to end pretty much anything. So, um, it just can't, kind of came to me and, and it was a statement of me saying, I belong here. And, and it kind of just took off almost, um, everybody, I had so many good, so much good feedback about that. And people were like, Oh, how do you think of that? And it just kind of came to my head. And then eventually, um, I'm a sponsored athlete from signature and they kind of reach out and they're like, we want to do stuff for you. And, I was like, okay, like I'm all on board. What do you, what do you, what are you guys thinking kind of thing? And they kind of brought the idea of like a clothing line type thing or clothing line and like water bottles and all this stuff with, with the saying I belong here. And we kind of uh, came with a, came up with something and um, we took it and ran with it. And um, they're, they're generous enough to kind of uh, put it all together and uh, talk to me about uh, where I wanted to donate the money and, um, and they're, able to kind of donate a hundred percent of the proceeds. Um, so that, that was awesome. And, and, um, it, it's taken off. I, I've had a really good feedback with that as well. And I've had a lot of people reach out and say, Oh, I've got this. And I've definitely made sure to beg them for that. And, um, obviously it's, again, it's something little, but it, it's, it's something big to me and, and, uh, it's better than nothing. 
I think it's honestly incredible. I always use this example, like lacrosse players, athletes in general, they always have such, I think personally great ideas, but a lot of the times what ends up lacking is the ability and the distribution to go put those things out there, i.e. a signature lacrosse, for example, having that platform already to say, okay, Danny, you have this great idea. You're already a sponsored athlete of us here. We'll help you promote this. We'll do a lot of the grunt work, your idea, your vision will make that happen. And I don't think that happens enough, but I'm obviously glad, especially not just as an athlete, but as a friend to, to see that you've got something successful there. And I think that's awesome. Um, one thing that I have been asking people just in general lately, especially regarding all the issues that have been going on is if you were to give somebody any advice in terms of education, and I think that's the biggest thing that needs to happen right now is educating people, educating outsiders, but then also looking internally and finding a way to educate yourself. What advice would you give somebody to, to help ultimately educate themselves? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. My one thing would be listening and learning because, um, we're all different, um, people everybody has their different opinions and that's okay uh that that doesn't change things but um i think having those uh uncomfortable conversations per se um with those people um is going to go a long way and uh, definitely educating yourself because even myself uh, i don't even know everything i i um as a kid uh growing up like yeah we we learned about racism but it was just very minimum and very uh kind of direct like it wasn't too much where nowadays i feel like it kind of needs to change and stuff like that so if you can kind of take a minute and kind of uh, educate yourself and and learn and have those uncomfortable conversations with people it's going to go a long way and um, it starts with um, us and it's going to take the next generation it's too bad to say but um, right now the the life we live in it's going to be it's not going to change right away so um, I'm I'm looking forward to kind of changing that for the next generation and um, having conversations just like this me and me and you it's going to go a long way. I love that. And we, we touched on 2020 being a crazy time. You played in a championship game recently. I played in a championship game recently. No fans. What was it like for you playing in that championship game without anybody in the stands other than those cardboard cutouts? <laughs> it, was, uh, it was different. But uh, to be honest, when you're so locked in uh, to the game, I, I don't really uh, notice it. Uh, I know in Buffalo, we get 14,000 plus fans. And uh, as crazy as it is, as it is to sound, I, I don't really, I, I kind of zone it all out. I'm, I'm playing lacrosse. Um, the one thing I'm thinking about, and um, yeah, when you score goals, you kind of hear them and stuff like that. They PL did a pretty good job with the crowd noise and stuff. It was kind of weird, but um, it was different. But um, at the end of the day, I was just thankful enough that they could make it happen and play the sport I love. And um, it was a long time coming, but um, it, it was just good to, again, to play lacrosse. Um, yes, I'd love fans in the stands. Um, eventually, we're going to get to that point. But um, it was pretty cool to kind of see the MLL and the PLL be able to even play at this play. So, um, yeah. I think it, I tell people this all the time. They ask the question, like, what is it like playing with no fans? And you, you hit the nail on the head. It's, I find it it's as crazy as it, as it is. It's kind of irrelevant. Like, you yeah. go out there and you're just playing and you – by the end of the national anthem, you forget that there's nobody even there and you're out playing the game and it's the fans. Obviously, like you said, we want fans in the stands without a doubt, but the fans almost have a better time there within themselves than we do having them there necessarily. Cause you said it like once you're, once you're playing, you're locked in, you're trying to find a way to ultimately bring your team to a championship, a win, whatever it is. And that's all that really matters. It, it's crazy how little of an effect necessarily it does have in the, the grand scheme of things. I think that, even just watching the NHL recently, what I feel like I notice even watching highlights back is the momentum change that happens. 
And I think that's really where the fans can really have an impact. Um, especially if somebody is on a two goal swing or something, and then the fans are all into the game. It's a home, home, home game for them. And they're on a two goal swing. Then the fans are impactful, but it's crazy how even with yourself, 14,000 fans in Buffalo to nine, it's crazy. You and I both played for with not for, but with Kevin Buchanan, what was it like having him be sent off kind of the way they did not losing a championship sucks, but I think that he's one of the greatest non-swearers that I've ever played with. Uh, (laughs) What was your experience like? It was awesome. He's a great uh, role model, great leader, um, just a great guy overall. And I've learned so much from him. And I, I didn't really um, know him since I wasn't much of a field guy. I didn't really know um, how good he was till I kind of looked back at it. I, I definitely heard his name. I heard he was a very, very, very good player. But I didn't really realize till I kind of looked back on film and stuff like that. And even to this day, I, I told him he could still play. And uh, he told me it was his time and stuff like that. But I, I even told him, like, he should – uh, look into coaching because he, his knowledge for the game is incredible and he, he's just a great guy overall and um when he's talking you listen so um I, I wish he didn't end up like that i wish we could have brought him a championship but um it was definitely pretty cool to at least make it to the uh the finals and him do really well in the tournament before we end things i've got two questions left the first one i only see the outsider's point of point of view looking in with what andy towers is like sum that up for me because he seems like the kind of guy that everybody just wants to play for and would run literally run through a brick wall for what was what's that like it's amazing i've never had a coach um as enthused with as him um he has the best speeches i've ever like heard in my life he he definitely makes you want to run through a wall um he's definitely a, a player's coach as well like he will never yell at you he'll tell he'll talk to you aside he'll pull you aside and let you know but um, he's legit one of the coach, best coaches I've ever played for. And um, he understands the game so much. And I, I wish I w- would have saw him back in the day uh, play because he is massive. And um, <laughs> I know, I know his signature thing is if you do something well, he'll almost elbow you in the chest and you almost want to not do something well because you don't want that. Elbow <laughs> in the chest. So, so when you score a goal or make a play or do whatever, um, he's the first guy to kind of congratulate you congratulate you on the bench but you're kind of running away from him because you don't want that uh that elbow to the chest because it legit knocks the wind out of you and you, you you might not be able to go next shift. no more good plays no more good plays <laughs> flip side you've got on the field a goalie like blaze and what was that like the guy makes save after save after save and not that although you, you we always say goalie keeps you in the game with saves that he makes you don't want to have to say that but there was a lot of times where blaze was keeping you guys in games because he's making tremendous save after tremendous save and not just a chest save a diving save or some absurd stop that he's making what's it like knowing that you guys can play your game and you've got a goalie back there that's ultimately going to bail you out time after time even though you don't yeah. necessarily want that yeah it was, it was incredible um uh, if anybody knows blaze he, he's an outgoing guy he, he likes to have fun um but as soon as lacrosse kind of his helmet's on he he's all zoned in and it, it was cool to see um i never really thought of him like that um he took our leadership role this year for sure and um he's a great goalie getting the shoot on him and dylan ward i think two of the best goalies in the world um it was pretty cool in practice you score a goal and you're right in their face and you make sure that you, you let them hear it but um having blaze and that he, he played an outstanding goal of the year two times now and um I think he reads the ball very well because he is he's an offensive player and, and box across and uh he knows shooters tendencies and i think that helps him tremendously i don't understand the transition by any means i don't get why he he doesn't play 
uh, both in one sport, but he's the first to ever really do it and do it as well as he does. So give him credit. And uh, he's an awesome dude as well. All right. So we, not that I want to go back. I know that I said I had two questions left, but I got a couple more because you're, you're an interesting guy. You've been a lot of places. You've done a lot of things. And I know that you watch football. You watch Cam Newton. He's on the Patriots now. Kind of reversing back to a lot of things that we've talked about. What's your whole perspective been like with everything that Cam's been doing? Because for me, I think it's inspirational. I think it's awesome. The content that he's putting out there from his own perspective, I think he has a media production company now maybe um but a lot of his stuff is kind of like we what we had talked about putting stuff out on your own doing that extra grunt work but then even he sat down with Odell Beckham Jr. and they had that conversation about him being basically neglected by every NFL team and finally just taking a contract with the Patriots what has it been like for you watching all that stuff and kind of seeing where he's gone and transitioning his career yeah, I mean, it's definitely a slap in the face because he, he won MVP. He, he's done it at the highest level. He's went to the Super Bowl. Um, he, he's, he's a great player. Um, you kind of look up to him, to be honest. Um, what he puts on social media is all the right things. Um, he's definitely a family man, but he's also like one of those guys that you want to play for. He seems like he, he loves to have fun. And he's, uh, he's one of those guys I feel like I don't know him personally, obviously, but uh, he reminds me a lot like myself where you joke around before the game, but as soon as the game happens, he, he's all in and he seems like a great teammate and stuff like that. And honestly, I drafted him in my fantasy league and he's been, he's been incredible. So thank you, Cam. <laughs> if you're listening to this right now, <laughs> keep, keep, keep up the hard work. <laughs> uh it's funny i think people like that they put stuff out on social and it's always the right stuff but there's always controversy behind it people can argue it this way or that way and people will say he shouldn't be doing that he should be focusing on winning games but at the end of the day i think that everything he's been doing especially with the off season that he had and being neglected by as many teams as he did his stuff that he's been putting out is just inspirational at its finest um last thing i'll leave you with I'm assuming you've been watching hockey. I know you're big into 2K and you guys in your house grunt that out day after day and you try to show everybody, one, how many hot dogs you eat before the game and then two, you always upload the final score of that NHL 2K game. But who do you have in the Stanley Cup finals right now? Uh, I Honestly, I, I wish Vegas and New York made it over these two teams. But if I had to choose, I think I'm going to go with Dallas. Um, don't really know why. But I think they're the underdogs. Um, I think they're up one to nothing, I believe. Yep. Maybe, yeah, the game two is tonight. But uh, I, I think I'm going with Dallas. I know Sam Coast might be coming back and stuff like that. But um, I think I like the underdogs. And um, it's been a while since Dallas has made it even this far. So um, it'd be pretty cool to see. I've, I, got, I have Dallas in this one too. And it's funny, people are saying that this is going to be Although at the beginning, it was an asterisk behind the Stanley Cup finals and whoever won the Stanley Cup. But the lot, a lot of the things I've been hearing lately is whoever wins the Stanley Cup this year, they're going to be going down in history because they've been pent up for whatever, two, two and a half months, stuck in that quarantine bubble, just going to the hockey rink, playing that. So I've got Dallas as well. I just have a feeling about them. I don't really know. I think it would have been cool to see the Islanders in there, even though everyone argues that it's boring, boring hockey. But oh, well is what it is yeah, i've got I, dallas I you got dallas anyway thanks dane for for jumping on here i appreciate it it's not obviously not ideal that we don't get to talk all the time like we did back in junior when i was bossing you around as your captain i'll say it once i'll say it twice but it's always good to catch up with with good people and good guys so thanks for jumping on no i appreciate you having me